Hi everyone, before we get into this week's episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay, I just want to let you all know that this will be this season's final episode. As always, I take a break for the summer, but I will be back in August. So until then, I hope you all take care of yourself and let's get to it. I'm a Muslim and That's Okay with this week's Gift of the Gab. I'm a Muslim and That's Okay presents... Gift of the Gab, because everybody's got something to say. Hi, everyone. May peace be on you all. And welcome to another episode of I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. I'm your host, Shella, and I am back with another Gift of the Gab. And I have with me my very special guest, Madeline Kanai. I hope you have gotten your name right, Madeline. I should have asked before. <laughs> no, but the thing is, I, Madeline is not new to me. I have known her for a very, very long time because our children are crazy, Madeline. It's a, that's the fact of it. That's, a, that's how <laughs> because our children are crazy. I think that's a medical term. Yeah. Yeah, that's a medical term. Our children are crazy. None of them sleep or listen to us. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. But the reason I have Madeline here with me is because just a few months ago, Madeline, you were diagnosed with a very specific kind of cancer. Um, I don't think that I would be able to properly explain this to my audience. Again, it's generally because, you know, we as people are so poorly aware of the many different kinds of cancer. We know there's breast cancer. We know there's lung cancer, mm-hmm. uh, maybe colon cancer in the mix, mix somewhere. But we don't realize that there's so many different kinds. So please tell our tell my audience um, about a little bit about yourself and the cancer you were diagnosed with. So I'm Madeline. I am a mother of one. Um, I have a husband and we live in northern New Jersey with two rescue dogs. And we moved to New Jersey about a year ago. And um, I really do think that it's because I moved to this area that I was diagnosed so soon. Um, It's really important, I feel, to like keep up to date with your health, but also it's really important to get your yearly checkup and to have doctors who are responsive and responsible. Doctors who can read your blood work and just go, hey, these are a couple of flags. You need to go and get this checked out because without my doctor, who was a cardiologist, he was the one who kind of raised the red flag for me. Um, I would not have been diagnosed with my form of blood cancer uh, before it became acute. So acute is when it becomes full-blown leukemia. And cancer goes through a couple of different phases. Um, For blood cancer, which is what I have, it's a it's um, a form that's called myeloid lymphoid neoplasm with FGFR1 rearrangement. And it's the rearrangement that makes it so rare. And um, there are about a hundred of us in the world who've ever been diagnosed with it. Oh, now, wow. I think it's... Um, for me, I think it's sort of a diagnostic, uh, you know, I think the reason why there's so few of us is because people who probably died from it or probably had it before, there wasn't this kind of um, ability to diagnose it down to the exact um, gene that it affected. So um, if I could ask, yeah. 
Yeah. Did you have any symptoms beforehand or did you just go in for, you know, regular yearly doctor visit? Well, you know, now, okay. They would call me asymptomatic. So, um, the kind of typical symptoms that one would get for cancer, uh, would be weight loss, which I, for the life of me could not lose weight. And so I was like, I, I was like, no, it's, you know, I have no weight loss, uh, night sweats. Oh. And, um, I'm trying to think of the other, there were like three kind of major, um, cancer symptoms. Mm. So since I was asymptomatic and it's considered, um, I was considered to be in the chronic phase. So, uh, Chronic phase also means that there are no blast cells. So the blast cells are what circulates in your bloodstream that indicate that you have cancer. It's sort of your body's reaction, right? It's the it's right. the uh, the cancer cells that are kind of floating around. So I didn't have any of that, but my bone marrow was starting to create a lot of white blood cells. Um, I was not getting mature blood cells into my body. I had high platelet count too. So I was like, you know, when it comes to, to blood work, because I got blood work about once every four months through my, um, endocrinologist because I'm hypothyroid. So I have to go ah. see an endocrinologist and I see a cardiologist once a year too, mm -hmm. because of some congenital issues, not myself, but there's some family issues, cardiac issues. So, um, I've been going to see a cardiologist, you know, pretty much all my adult life ever since I was around 16. And, um, every year I went in and every time I moved somewhere new cardiologists would say, what are you doing here? You're perfectly healthy. You are, you know, your stress test is like you aced it. Um, your echocardiogram is fabulous. You know, you don't have anything going on. Right. And, um, so I, I kind of put the cardiologist, I didn't, find it. I didn't think that it was very important to keep up with it. Like not as much as I would with my yearly exam, um, or, you know, going to the, uh, OBGYN or something like I, I just didn't really kind of prioritize it. So I would, I would go once a year, but I would say, well, you know, I can, I can wait a few months. I don't have to go you know, <laughs> right now. <laughs> yeah. Or like, you know, get my teeth cleaned, which is every six right. months. Right? right. Right. I was like, Oh no, 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 I can wait a couple of months or I'll go when it's convenient for me. Right. Um, and so I'm really glad that I did go see a cardiologist when I did, because he drew blood that, well, I had a blood test only about, I think like a month before I saw him and that, that blood test showed that everything was fine. And then the blood test that I did for him showed a couple of kind of red flags, like I said before. So he was the one who said, Hey, you need to see an oncologist. Well, he actually, at first he said a hematologist because he said, it seems that you have an infection in your body. So after I was diagnosed though, and after I started seeing, I started doing a lot of reading about leukemia in general, because if my cancer, if my blood cancer or blood disease was not, um, treated, it would turn into leukemia. Right. Um, and so, uh, upon reflection, I see that a lot of things I was experiencing were symptoms of leukemia, 
some of them are very random. Like um, I have, I was having frequent ear infections and tinnitus. So tinnitus is one of those symptoms. It was, the ringing was getting really bad. Um, and I was also having, um, oh, I had one or two little bouts of vertigo. I was getting um, uh, ocular migraines and um, I wasn't able to, I know that, that like cancer when it's when it's kind of active when it's in the acute phase cancer does make you lose weight but I was holding on to like my body was inflamed and my doctor kept saying to me there's a lot of inflammation in your body you really need to get on kind of a low inflammation diet I did that and there was still inflammation in my blood so um he kept saying and I kept telling him I'm having excruciating migraines now migraines run in my family so I thought well this is par for the course my grandmother and my grandfather on my mother's side both had migraines my mother and her twin sister both have migraines so I thought and I've had migraines since I was around 16. So I thought, you know, this is just par for the course. This is just my genes. Right. And, um, and so I thought, well, this is just sort of my body breaking down. I'm in my forties. I have, you know, achy knees and achy right. hips. Um, I've taken really good care of myself throughout my whole life. I've eaten a- an amazing diet. I have not, you know, been excessive in, in drinking or anything like that. I have always been very conscientious about what I was consuming. I was always moving my body. I did, I was doing high intensity workouts, um, about, I think like a year and a half or two years before I started, um, showing or like uh, before I was diagnosed rather. Um, and the reason why I stopped going to a gym was because I was, I was hurting myself. I was tearing muscles and I didn't know why. Yeah. So I was doing weights. I was doing pretty heavy weights for a woman, I think, you know, or at least for me. And, um, and I was doing, and I wasn't recovering like my friends in class were. So, um, and I was like, what, what is this all about? Well, after I got diagnosed, I realized it's because my body couldn't really heal itself. Ah, I see. Yeah. So, I mean, and that's the thing. I'm, oh, you had all of these symptoms, um, but it's so hard to piece it all together, especially, you know, as, as women, we're like, mm-hmm. oh, you know, you, we get, you know, things go up and down and we're like, okay, this you're hurting today. You won't be hurting tomorrow. We push through these things. That's the thing. How would anybody be able to like for the kind of cancer you have be able to get an effective diagnosis like if if somebody really suspected anything like that's that's the thing they would really need a good doctor Mm -hmm. to be able to like take in all the blood work seriously and that in itself is hard to find that you know somebody would take all your symptoms seriously you know, the cardiologist who referred me to the hematologist, he said to me, he sat down and he said, you know, I realize that women's pains are minimized. Right. And he said, I want you to be honest with me as a right. woman. And he said, I'm not trying to be sexist. What I'm trying to say is that yeah. societally, you know, we go through so much physically and we aren't really given a lot of support, honestly, like, you know, postpartum, we are supposed to leave the hospital in the U S we only spent two or three days in the hospital, you know, yeah. yeah. And even with the C-section, you know, you leave after three or four days and they say, well, you're able to walk so you can leave. Um, in other countries, you know, women stay for like 
10 days in a hospital, recover, get their bearings. They're able right. to be fed by others, be taken care of. So, right. um, so my doctor essentially said, you know, women's pains are minimized. Mm please tell me, are you feeling anything else? And I said, well, yes. I, and I listed all these different symptoms I was having. Um, I was also, I forgot to mention, I, I also was having a very hard time regulating my body heat, you mm. know, my body temperature. I was right. feeling really warm. Mm. And, um, and that's another, you know, symptom of leukemia. So wow. Yeah. And he asked me some questions that I realize now he was trying to, he was trying to see whether or not I had leukemia because he said, he said, you know, have you been, have you, have you been treated for cancer before? Mm. I said, no. He said, have you been exposed to large amount of radiation? I said, no, Mm -hmm. because, because the symptoms, I mean, that my blood work was showing the, the blood work of someone who had right. Right. The type of, yeah. Leukemias I had. So I mean, it's, you can't be diagnosed just by blood work alone for blood cancer. You have to get a bone marrow biopsy. And that is not, I mean, if you're going to the right person, it is not painful. It is very fast. Psychologically, Mm. it's scarier than it is physically. Yeah. Right. So, you know, you kind of have to like amp yourself up and, um, and it sounds scary to like, right. Go through your skin and go through bone and to get into the middle of your bone. <laughs> I know. I'm getting the heebie-jeebies just listening to it. But this is, it's necessary. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. When you got your formal diagnoses, I, I think that's the thing. Do you fully comprehend that, yeah, I have cancer. And, you know, what? what is the feeling like after that? I think it's important yeah. for people to realize that it's not just, it's not like any other disease because there's so much stigma attached to it. Yeah, a ton of stigma because mm. you know some of the first questions I got was, "What did you do? Like oh, what? Geez. Like what did I do to not cause this? But like, oh my gosh, like did, almost people." realizing that someone who was seemingly healthy and someone right. who had always taken care of herself, they were like, what happened? And I said, well, I, you know, I think they <laughs> wanted me to say, I don't know. I, I chomped on some kryptonite or like, you know, I, <laughs> I ran through an x-ray machine. Like people want to make sense of it. Right. Oh no. Right. I, I, I've been right. mining, you know, coal in my backyard for yeah. some, you know, on the down. You have a uranium stockpile so somewhere. That's yeah, exactly. exactly. Yeah. I've been playing with this stuff. I don't know. Yeah. It's like silver. It's really cool. Oh, it's mercury. Oh my gosh. I didn't know that. But, <laughs> but you know, people, people want to assign some sort of reason. And like, right. honestly, it's just, it just, it just happens, but it just happens. Um, yes. Yeah. And I did not know that I didn't know anything about blood cancers, right. nothing about them. There's cancer in my family. Um, and I've always been very aware of, of that. You know, my, right. my mother's, both of her sisters had cancer. One of them died from it. One of them is a survivor. Um, and then her brother who was adopted, but he's like a cousin, he was my grandmother's cousin. Right. He, he also died from cancer, but he died mm. Because of um, of uh, exposure to Agent Orange um, during the Vietnam War, he was a oh, helicopter pilot. Right, right. Yeah. So, um, so he he died. I mean, it was a very long and like horrible process. So, you know, I I kept thinking, oh my gosh, this is like I thought this is it. This is like this is going to to spell my doom because right, right. I had had so much mortality in my family 
from cancer, from cancer. you know. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, just in one generation now, my grandparents, they were all healthy. And, you know, mm. my grandparents, they lived through wars and, right. and they were, and they were fine. So I thought, why, why us? This, it was just a very bizarre thing. Um, and my, one of my great grandmothers also had breast cancer. So, mm. but it was like later in life. Um, and that's kind of the weird thing about cancer is that if you catch it, if you catch it when you're young, recovery is good, but because your body produces so many like cell turnover is much faster, the cancer can spread much faster. But when right. you're older and, you know, recovery is, is a little harder, but this, the cancer cells don't grow as quickly That's right. is w- what was explained to me. So they said, you know, so my doctor said, well, you know, you're young, you can beat this, you'll, you'll get through this. Um, but I didn't realize it was just the beginning of this long process. I mean, this is going to be mm. a lifelong journey. This isn't just, you know, it's a chronic type of leukemia. So this is something that is in my gene. So the gene, we all have this gene, but it, in my case, it got turned on. There was some, some sort of, for whatever reason, you know? So for you, um, yeah. from my, my understanding of it, it was, is that you, uh, genetically, you can't stop producing the cancer. Right. Yeah. So it's, so there's not a lot known about the FGFR1 gene when it comes to genetics, but my, both of my aunts and I have FGFR1 caused cancer, mm. um, but they're expressed in different ways. So, um, and this is just something I found out just from reading it. So it's, yeah. So it was something I was born with and it just, I am just sort of genetically more susceptible to, to get cancer. And then this is just the type that was, that just started kind of turning Manifesting on itself. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So, right. and once, once it's like turned on mm. or once it starts being activated, there's, you can't like stop it. You can't stop it through diet. And that's mm. another misconception people have right, is that right. your diet will somehow, Magically. whatever it is. Yeah. It's kale, oh. Madeline. Yeah. Kale solves everything. Oh no, it's, it's actually vinegar. It's apple cider oh, vinegar. Apple cider vinegar solves everything. Unfiltered. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you I'm know, sorry. It, <laughs> no, it's so true though. People, you know, people really want to have simple answers, but this right, is a very right. complex disease right. and cancer. Cancer is just like an umbrella, right? It's mm. like saying, okay, like, hair it's like hair there's hair comes in different thickness different kinds different you know uh density that's what it is like you can't just go into a hairdresser and say well just do my hair you have to explain what you do with it what it looks like so that's sort of what cancer is cancer is just kind of like an umbrella term for a myriad of of different things that can happen to your body and and every single if, if, if there's a name for it, if there's a function in your body, you can get cancer for it. You know, right, so it's like, right. so bone cancer is the same as blood cancer. Um, but you can, I can also, you know, like have another form. I like, I could have cancer of the bile duct or one can right. have cancer of the eyeball or right. there are so many different kinds of cancer and every single type of cancer has many little subcategories. And so I'm under the um, blood cancers and I'm under, and then underneath that is the myeloid lymphoid neoplasm. And then underneath that is my kind. So, and that's, and so since there's so few of us, since it affects, I think it's under a hundred thousand, if it affects under a hundred thousand us citizen or you, you know, people living in the United States, then it's, it's deemed an orphan uh, disease. So that means that we don't, th- 
there's not a lot of research into into it. There's not going to be like a huge gala just for people with my type of cancer because right. they're literally a hundred or probably fewer. You know, I'm sure some some have passed away. Um, but you know, there's there's not a lot of there's not a lot of um, there's not a lot of noise about it, Madeline. That's no, the problem. There isn't. There isn't. Um, yours is incredibly rare because of yes. it is and a sublayer of leukemia itself. Yes. yes. Um, very little is known about it. And you know, that that's the thing that doesn't make it any less important or the mm -hmm. fact that it should not get the kind of funding that maybe breast cancer does that every mm -hmm. single year, the entire month of October, uh, there is huge amount. And mm -hmm. again, this is not to take away from breast no. cancer at all. It no. is important, but it is also important for people to realize that there are so many other cancers that people are affected by. And that's where I want to get to is that what the treatment you are on is a trial treatment. Yes. And if you could tell my audience about that and how that has impacted you. So um, when I was diagnosed, I was mm -hmm. told there is no FDA drug or, mm -hmm. or there, and there's no protocol for right. my time, they said, they said, there's just nothing out there because when it's a rare disease there, it's really hard to get funding for research for it. And it's also hard to get drugs in the pipeline. So, um, I was told, well, you, you should, since I'm in Northern New Jersey, I'm only about an hour and a half outside of New York city. And they said, well, you can go into Memorial Sloan Kettering, which is a huge institution. It's like the number three cancer hospital in the country. Um, and it's obviously it's up there in, in the world, you know, so uh, people will fly to New York to be seen by the experts there. Um, the, uh, the expert in blood cancers, rare blood cancers called us and said, I'm so sorry. I, I don't, I don't have any patients who have your, your type. Of, oh, wow. Yes. So he said, I don't have, I don't know how to treat you, which of course just broke me in half because, you know, I just yeah. thought, oh my gosh, this, you know, I'm, I'm 42 now and I have a, I have a small child right? and, you know, and I have, I have a family and, you know, it's like, I come from a very small family and I just thought, mm -hmm. oh my gosh, the, you know, there's no, that's that's not even the thing, Madeline. It doesn't matter if you had a family or not. No, you're right. It doesn't. Just the fact that if your doctor tells you, I'm sorry, there's nothing I can do for you. Yes. It's which, scary which, as heck. <laughs> because because we think that, that doctors and science have yeah. all the answers because we think, well, there's there's no there's very few unknowable aspects of life anymore, is what we think. Mm. You know, we've right. we we have we have you know, we're able to monitor our sleep through smart watches and we're right. able to geotrack people and we're able to look at photographs and break down, you know, where this person's located. You know, there mm -hmm. are crimes that are solved, which were once thought to be unsolvable right. and we think that the human body is one of those things that we have already figured out already but there's so many things that are unknowable at the moment um so yeah so they so when the when the expert at msk said to me we don't have a protocol for this but i have spoken to one of my colleagues down at md anderson houston and he has a drug trial going on and i thought oh my gosh like, how, what are the chances of this? First of all, when I heard drug trial, I thought, this is scary. This is going to be risky. 
you know um and i thought oh this this feels almost like exploitative like oh my gosh Mm. they're taking a bunch of people who are desperate because when you have cancer doesn't matter what kind it is Mm -hmm. you are desperate you want to survive you want to or at least that i did i know some people go through massive depression and they have you know they have ideations of of ending things but i had this you know, I, ha- I had this this energy and this spirit coming from me that was like, you need to survive. You need to get through this. You need to do this. You, yeah. And there was, I've never fought harder than I ha- ever have for anything. Um, and so, yeah, so for me, it was just really, really hard to hear that there was no, you know, that, that even an oncologist at, at, at MSK didn't know what to do for me. And so when he told me that there was a drug trial, I, th- I said, my husband, my husband, Tora, he actually was the one who who uh, contacted contacted MSK the day of my diagnosis? He came in with me to get my to get my uh, bone marrow biopsy, and it took two weeks for the molecular kind of results to come back uh, to get an exact um, diagnosis. So, um, about a week and a half after I I went to go get my biopsy, it was a Monday. He he contacted MSK right away because he asked our oncologist. Our oncologist, the oncologist here in New Jersey, said, "What do you want to do? Do you want to go into the city? Do you want to be treated here?" And I said, "Well, this is a rare blood cancer, so I imagine I need to get the best of the best. Right? Right. I need to like really kind of get a specialist." And he said, "Yes." He said, "Well, I will. I will refer you to my colleague at MSK." And then, uh, and my husband got right on it. He called them. He sent in um, all of the the paperwork that that I that I needed. And honestly, I was so numb and I was so scared. I I just sort of I I just sort of kind of put my put everything on hold. You know, I I was just so I was really frightened. So I I kind of just went through through my day, just sort of like an automaton, just sort of, well, okay, this one's supposed to do at this time. And, and sometimes not even that I just kind of sat and I just think for a long time. And, but my husband did all of this work and he, um, by Tuesday, the specialist at MD Anderson down in Houston, um, Dr. Verstosik, he contacted us because he said, Oh, my, my colleague that at MSK told me about you. We have a drug trial going on. I got your bone marrow biopsy, your preliminary biopsy that diagnosed you. Um, he said, you come down whenever we're not, we're in no rush. And I thought we're in no rush. Excuse me. <laughs> like <laughs> What? Um, so my husband was like, okay, we're going, we're going to pull our kid out of school and we'll go down to Houston for, you know, for a week. So that's what we did. So we, so, um, my husband, well, I guess the, the really, my husband's a miracle. He's an amazing man and he's able to multitask and juggle a lot of things. So he had just gotten a new position in his company and it was a really big position. It's like one that he really, he was, he was working towards. So he got mm. this fabulous position the day that, um, or I'm sorry, the week that I went in to, get, I'm sorry, the, the week that, that my doctor, my a hematologist who became my oncologist in New Jersey, he said to me, Hey, I think you have leukemia and you need to get oh, further testing. Wow. So that week, and I came home and I said, Hey, 
you know, I was like, I don't mean to distract you from like learning your new job, but yeah, (laughs) this is is what's being, you know, dropped on our laps. So, um, so he was like, Oh my gosh, yeah, whatever you need to do. He's like, you know, I will, I will go and I will do whatever needs to be done. And so, yeah, he was, he was really, you know, he went into like this super mode. And so, um, that Tuesday. So Monday I was diagnosed. I was given my diagnosis. Tuesday, we spoke to Dr. Verstovsik down in, in Houston. And by Wednesday, we had made plans to go down to Houston. So by the oh, wow. next, by the following Tuesday, so seven, eight days after my diagnosis, nine days, I was, I was in, I was starting to see Dr. Verstovsik. I was starting to um, begin all of the preliminary diagnostic tests that would allow me to be in the uh, trial. Oh, wow. Yeah. So that gave me tremendous hope because what they, what every doctor told me that whom I spoke to along this kind of chain of doctors. And that's the great thing about oncologists. They all speak to each other. They're all connected. They all meet you know, at least once a year, more and more. Um, and they're always exchanging information. So if one oncologist can't treat a patient, a patient they will yeah. say, yeah, they'll say who else can, can treat, you know, this patient and they will, and they're, they are the most dedicated doctors I, I have come in contact with. My, my oncologist at MD Anderson is on his email 24 seven. I mean, he is just, he is dedicated. He, I will send him emails at nine o'clock at night and he will call me if, if he oh, needs to, or amazing. he will, I know. And I thought, gosh, his poor wife and kids, because you know, he's, <laughs> he, he's having to give up a lot, but, yeah. um, but his work and his team's work, because he's also a researcher, they have led to people like me with orphan diseases to, to have some, you know, to have a drug that gives us an 80% efficacy. I mean, that is just, yes, for any drug, for any cancer drug to have that high rate of efficacy is nearly unheard of. So, um, so the fact that they found this one pill that, that it's a, so it's not technically chemotherapy, it's called targeted therapy because what it does is it aims to turn off that gene that causes my cancer. So chemotherapy is just sort of, it, it, it kills all the cells in your body, right? right? right. Just, but this is, this is therapy that, that is specific to that gene. So, um, so it's, it's nothing short of a miracle. And I know that the people who were in the process of, of researching this and developing the drug, they will say it's millions of hours of, of people researching and so, you know, but from my perspective, from the perspective of the, of the person who, who's the uh, patient, it's a right. miracle. I mean, it's right, just right. miraculous. So, right. yeah. So I, um, but the thing was that I had to take all of these tests. There were about, oh my goodness, blood tests galore. Um, I think about maybe 80 blood tests. Oh, wow. I mean, they don't draw 80 vials no, of no, blood, I, you know, they- I, I, but like over periods <laughs> yeah. of time that they do yeah. have to check levels of yes. different things um, just to make sure that you're doing okay on a drug, mm-hmm. on a trial um, drug, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And they, and they also have to make sure so they have to make sure that, that, that the initial test was right, because there right. are many different types of FGFR1, um, you know, leukemia or like FGFR1 sort of related cancers. So they had to make sure. So they did another diagnostic um, bone marrow biopsy. 
um, they only take about 25 minutes, 20 minutes. You know, if you, if you are, if you go to a cancer hospital, they're really fast and they do it, they're in and out. So that wasn't so bad. Um, and then I had to go through a full day of pretty much like testing on and off. So I went in for a PET scan, which is, which is where they, um, you're given an, an, an injection. Well, it's kind of a drip of like, um, of radioactive. Um, I, of course, I don't know any of the particulars, so I apologize right. greatly. No, this no. is coming from like a layman's perspective. Right. Right. So I apologize. But, um, but, and then you have to wait for an hour, uh, for it to go through your veins and then you go into, it looks like an MRI machine. Right. And so, and it, they last about anywhere from, I think like 35 or 25 minutes to an hour. Mm, um, wow. I kind of went to my like Zen place. Like I kind right, of, right. I was like, okay, Madeline, this is when you like do your meditating and this is right. where you kind of like zone out. So I was like, okay, thinking about things um, <laughs> because no one likes to be in a tube. Um, right. And so, yeah, so I did that. And then my day was about, I think I had about a 12 hour day that day, a 14 hour oh, day. Wow. Yeah, I had about three or four EKGs, an eye exam, um, and uh, blood. I think I had to get like maybe two two things of blood or like two kind of rounds of blood taken. So it was like it was really it was a really tiring. It's intense. Day. Yeah, it was. Re- oh, no, I'm sorry. I think th- three. I think I had to take the medicine, wait an hour, and then and then I had to wait. No, I had to wait two hours, then one hour, then another hour. And so I was going from one arm to the other. Right, right. You know, it was just a lot of, I was just like, oh my gosh, just get me out of here. And I couldn't right, eat right. either. I had oh, to, I had to fast. Geez. Oh, wow. So that was really horrible too. Because also this medicine, it can affect your, your eyes. It can oh, affect yeah. your heart. And, um, you know, uh, I mean, I, you, you've been following me, but your listeners won't know, but like, um, and I'm sure the people who are listening to me, but not seeing, they won't be able to see it, but my nails are, are falling off. You know, it's the, the old, the old nails that were, um, that I had during my kind of intense treatment dosage. Yeah. yeah. Right. So, and these pills are very innocuous looking, you know, once right. I got the pills in my hands, I thought this looks like a baby aspirin. Like it's, right you know, it's like a little dot. It looks so innocent. And you think, right. Oh my gosh, this is what's going to cure me. Um, and as, and I don't know if it's psychosomatic, but the first dose that I took, mm. I felt like that the day after I felt horrible that evening because I was hungry and I was tired. Um, and it just, things were not working out. Like things were just really on top of the, the pre-cancer. Um, I just wasn't feeling great, but that morning I woke up and I could walk without feeling out of breath. Oh, that's another thing. Being out of breath. That's another leukemia. Yes. And I thought I said to my husband, my gosh, I I'm really getting, I'm getting kind of like, you know, right. I, you're like, yeah, I, I'm not as young as I used to, but then yes. that's not the reason. No, that wasn't the reason. No, not at all. Because he said to me, well, maybe you need to like run again. Maybe you need to like, you know, I was thinking about getting a Peloton again. Right, I was like, right. oh yes, but I would get so fatigued. I would, right. I would do things also because we were in the process of unpacking the house. Mm-hmm. And for two months I sat on the couch. I just told mm-hmm. my husband, I said, I can't do this anymore. I mean, this was like after we moved in. Right. So this was 2021. Um, 
I sat on the couch for about two months because I said, I feel so poorly. I feel so sick. I can't do anything. I have no stamina. And he was like, oh, it's probably because you're depressed. And I said, well, I, I don't have clinical depression. I was like, I don't know what's going on. I don't have any of the other symptoms of depression. I'm just, I just need to sit. I'm tired. So anyway, I'm sorry. I got away from your no, original no. question. Um, <laughs> the, the, the thing is, I mean, you're, you just started your drug trial. Okay. Yeah. And now you are a couple of months into it. So, I mean, tell us that mm -hmm. initially, what's the difference from then and now? And okay, yeah, uh, for, per your diagnoses. So, um, okay. So when I began my, my white blood cell count, so anyone with, with cancer will have high white blood cell counts mm. and especially with leukemia, right. um, for someone with leukemia or for with pre-cancer, they call it, it's not full bone leukemia yet. I need to like really kind of watch what I say, I think, because I, leukemia sounds scary and right. pre-cancer, no, my, my it, blood it's condition. The, the danger, the danger is still yes. there. That's the thing. It, yes. it is the starting point as they yes. say. It's pre-cancerous basically. So well, yeah, it's, it, it's like having like, you know, I don't know, like lung infections and then it leads to COPD or, or something, or, you know, it's uh, like, <laughs> uh, or even with, with uh, breast cancer, there are mm -hmm. precancerous cells that if they detect it early enough that they do like, this is, you're at high risk now for breast okay. cancer. And it's the same thing for, uh, for what you're going that you had precancerous detection. And that's yes. why your, your treatment was so integral before yes. it became full, full blown leukemia. Absolutely. Yeah. So my, my white blood cell count, when I started, um, going into the hematologist, my white blood cell count was, and this was back in May, I believe, if I remember correctly, maybe April-ish, um, of 2021, it was around, um, 25 or 35. So normal people have one, two, is it four to 11? That's okay. the range. Right. So mine was above. And, and, um, the hematologist said, you, whatever you have, it's all over your body. He said, it's, you know, he said, you may have a blood disease. We thought for a while it's a fungal infection. Right. I, I had just moved from Arizona and there are a lot of, um, kind of fungal, you know, there, there's this thing called, um, Valley fever mm -hmm. in Arizona, in, in the Sonoran Valley or in the Sonoran desert. And, um, it's a fungus fungal infection that affects your brain. It's like a, a kind of a tax neurological you know, a system. And I thought, I thought, well, it might be that. And he asked, have you gone to any tropical locations? Well, yes, yes, I had, you know? So I thought I, I went to Thailand and I said, well, but that was several years ago. And he said, no symptoms. I said, no. So he was kind of chipping away at all the different right. possibilities. Um, and so by the time that he said, I think you have pre-cancer, I think you have blood cancer. My blood, my white blood cell count was around 50. And by the time oh, wow. I, yeah, by the time I started my trial, which was November 12th, 2021, my white blood cell count was out of 55. Mm. So, so it was like, so very, I'm sorry, it was, very high. yeah. So it's getting high. Now right. I've heard of people who get, who goes into the hundreds, 150, oh, 200. And I don't know how anyone functions at that point because I was feeling so just worn out, you know, just right. really tired. Um, and so um, I got a biopsy um, in December, end of December. 
and it what and my um, it showed that 85% of the cells from my culture were found to have the FGFR1 gene in it, the rearrangement. Right. Um, and then I got another one at the end of February. And that's my latest one. And that showed 99.5% healthy genes, oh, like healthy cells. Right. And it came back normal. So, yeah. <laughs> and how long have yeah. you been on the trial uh, from uh, only three and a half months? So, November. So, it's like December one, two. Yeah. So, it was three and a half months. They say that it takes about six months worth right. of, of, you know, of the drug for right. intense kind of like high dose of it. Right. Um, which, which honestly brings me to this, to my point, which is that this is an expensive drug because there's so few of us who right. are on this. But here's the it, thing. It's yeah. not even that you're on it. You're on a trial, Madeline. I am on the this trial. This is not yeah. like you can go to no. like, I, I prescribed you no. certain XYZ medicine. <laughs> you're going to get this medicine from exactly. CVS. <laughs> Like you are on a trial. Yes. The, like this, there's a very limited amount that is exists because like, this is not like readily available to no. anybody at all. Well, well, so, so this drug actually has been used on people with other kinds of cancer, bile mm. duct cancer. And I figured, oh, wow. I forget what other cancer, but I guess people with bile duct cancer tend to get this kind of leukemia because mm -hmm. when you get one kind of cancer, your body's like, Hey, this is what's this is what's going on. I'm gonna start making these really weird cells, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and so, it's like easier for your body to be. You're more susceptible to get other kinds of cancer. Other kind so of cancers, yeah. Pe people with bile duct cancer started getting my kind of cancer, mm. and so, um, and so, and bile duct cancer is a rare cancer too. It's not right. like you know. It's, it's not like prostate cancer. It's not like breast cancer. It's, right. you know, it's a very kind of specific kind of cancer. So they, um, they found people were using people in my condition were using this. We're having this medicine I'm taking right now as a trial, they were using it off label. So mm. when things are off label, your doctor is saying, we think that this medicine will work, but it is not specifically prescribed for On people of your condition. Yeah. So your insurance does not have to accept it. Yeah. So, and yeah. that's, that's my, my other thing. Okay. A under any circumstances, whether the cancer is like breast cancer or like yours, incredibly rare mm -hmm. treating cancer is always expensive, mm -hmm. always without yeah. a doubt. It's not even just the drugs or the radiation, the chemotherapy that people go through. The, the, the amount of tests and everything that goes with it, even other things that go with having cancer mm -hmm. is expensive. Very. So I, I want yes. you to like really break it down, like okay. for your trial. I mean, yeah. you're not just, it's not, again, it's not just the drug. You are living in New Jersey, but you're yes. coming to Houston on a very yeah. frequent basis. Okay. Yes. All of this factors yeah. in. <laughs> Yeah. So every three weeks, so every 21 days, wow. because the medicine is in 21 day doses. Mm -hmm. So every 21 days I go from Houston, I drive myself to Newark airport. Mm. I park my car and I take a plane down to Houston. Right. Yeah. So, and I go to Houston. So I leave my family for like, you know, uh, what amounts to about a day and a half. Right? right. Because I, now I'm in a, now I'm in a routine and I have a schedule. So, right. um, and I go down there and I stay with 
my in-laws. So mm -hmm. thank goodness they live in Houston and they're able to, you know, they, they pick me up at the airport, they take me home, they feed me a fabulous meal. And then, <laughs> and then the yeah, yeah, it's day. important. Uh, yeah, the it, thing is, uh, otherwise you'd be in a hotel and you'd have yes. to like figure out where you're going to eat in the, uh, your next meal. Yeah. It's expensive. It is. It is very expensive. Yeah. And now that people are flying again, it's yeah. gotten more expensive. Like yeah. ticket prices have gone up, you know, $200 mm. or something. And $200 doesn't really feel that much. You know, of course, if you're going on a trip or something like once, like once a year, yeah. but when it's every three weeks, it adds up. Yeah. It does add up, but my, uh, but the trial, the drug is free. So they give mm. you the drug for free because they're testing, but right. all the tests are not free. So oh, every wow. single doctor's appointment mm -hmm. is, um, I have to pay for, and I have to get an eye exam every 62 days. I have to get mm. a bone marrow biopsy every 62 days. Is that covered? Uh, is the biopsy nope. covered? Nope. Oh, and, the, and biopsy without insurance. Even through insurance? Yeah. Your insurance well, doesn't cover it? No, not all the way. So without insurance, it would cost me about $18,000 for a biopsy. The drug itself, three-week course without insurance and without, if I were not in the drug trial, would cost seven around $17,500 dollars oh, for 21 days. Okay. Wow. I know. And then, um, and then also my, my insurance has decided not to cover vitamin D uh, like testing. So my doctor, when you're, when you have cancer, you need to have, you have to have good vitamin D because it, it really affects how your bone, like, especially leukemia, like your bones right. hurt. Like I have arthritis now, which is really sexy. I know it's like a very <laughs> attractive, you know, makes me feel young, you know, but I'm like, you know, I have like arthritic pain, but right. it's diminished because I'm on a high dose of, I'm, I'm on a prescription dose of vitamin D. Now, my doctor has to monitor that to make sure that I am not, you know, th that my body is absorbing the vitamin D because vitamin that also D, yeah. indicates a lot of other things. It, it right. indicates sort of a, you know, what your immune system is, is doing too. So, but my insurance said, well, our doctors at our insurance company says that, that vitamin D is not, is not important for your condition. It's not oh, important wow. to know. So every single test is like 235 or $240. Oh, you know, and I have to cover that out of pocket mm. and, you know, it's, it's really, it's, it's very, it's expensive, but you know, my, as my husband would say, what is a life worth? He said, your life is worth more than that. And, right. you know, and he said, I will do anything to make you okay again. Right. And this is how we all feel, you know, but we, the, the, yeah. the thing is, um, I'm so glad that, you know, you have that kind of support and the financial resources. Yes. But there are so many yes. people that mm -hmm. they'd be like, I can't afford that vitamin D test. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I people can't afford yeah. the prescription vitamin D either. Because yeah. it's not like what you're getting at the at the CVS. It's, that's that's no. not it. It will cost more. Yeah. And, you know, you can't really skip on the bone, uh, bone marrow biopsy. But no. you would have people that be like, yeah, I want to live, but I can't afford to live either. Yeah. Yeah. That's the tragedy and, of it all. And people go into debt and people go get, they lose their homes and they go bankrupt mm. trying to save one member of their family, you know, because right. there's no support. There's no right. support in this country. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no guarantee in this country that, that if you have a catastrophic uh, diagnosis, um, if you have a once in a lifetime, ca you know, diagnosis or something you have to maintain for the rest of your life. 
um, you know, there are people with spine who are born with spina bifida. There are people born with autism. There are people born with all different kinds of chronic conditions that require, uh, you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy. It requires medication, requires frequent doctor's visits. But you know, th they are having to pay more, and their lives, their lifestyles are having to be affected by that. And that, you know, it, okay, so lifestyles being affected. Okay, so you don't get to go. On a trip okay well all right well that's not so bad right but some people are not eating because right. you know they need to afford insulin there's some people right. who are foregoing or it's really the opposite important. of weight because there's so many people because insulin is expensive mm -hmm. ridiculous as it is it's a it's a essential drug but yes. people will uh like ration insulin yeah and they'll die because of it and they yeah, can and die because of it and there there have been people there, there's about you know one news article every three months that i see about people rationing insulin and dying from it otherwise healthy people you know and and that's the thing that that's like so i find really kind of like hurtful is when people say well you know these are these are things that you could really help no you can't help your genetics you cannot you cannot you know, drink smoothies to, to control what your genes are doing or what you're, what's happening to you. And, you know, ever, and, um, I'm lucky. I am so lucky because we have health insurance. My husband has a great job. He is, you know, he's able to work. I'm not able to work right now. I, I was actually applying for jobs, um, because I've been a stay at home parent for almost like 10 years. And, um, and I, I was, I was in the process of applying for jobs and looking for jobs. And, um, and the, you know, when I got my diagnosis and now, you know, and I feel this great pressure, honestly, to find a job because, you know, two insurances are better than one. Better than one. And, most definitely. Yeah. And, you know, what, what his insurance will not accept, maybe my insurance would accept and they'll be able to build because, you know, it's really, diseases are not kind to individuals oh. and, um, and the stress of the financial burden and the financial stress of this on top of everything else that we're supposed to do and keep up with is, is really, it's crushing at times. It, it really, it gives me anxiety, honestly. And, you know, and we're in a better position than most people. Um, and so I just, you know, I think about how, how very unfair it is. Everyone deserves a, a life that's a good quality life. Everyone deserves um, a guarantee that, that like they will be taken care to, of. Access to good yeah. medical, like, diagnoses and treatment. Yes. yes, because there's someone out there who has my condition and they can't afford uh, every three weeks to fly to... San Francisco or Chicago or New York or wherever else, you know, that the trial is going on. They can't afford it. There's some, there's someone in the middle of fill in the blank. You know, right. there's, there's someone who is in the middle of the U S who cannot afford to go to this trial. So what are their options at this point? Because there's, they can't afford, you know, insurance is expensive, right? You know, private insurance in this country, even, even on the healthcare uh, marketplace is expensive. Uh, prohibitively expensive for most people, you know, and, and so you can't afford that. You can't afford this. Your diagnosis has, you know, made, has made you, uh, you know, your insurance policy, maybe you have to pay more if you have, if you're not working through a company, maybe you're a farmer, maybe you're, you know, whatever, maybe you own your own business. I mean, it's just, it's really and kind here's of the like, thing with your kind of cancer, it's, yeah. It's not even out there. And I think that's my, my yeah. second thing that 
even if somebody got that diagnosis, the insurance company would be like, but we've this this is not even on the radar at any given point. Yeah. Right. So, well, yeah. And so they don't know how to handle it. They so, don't know how to know, handle it. Just, just like, um, I was talking, so I have, I'm, I'm in the process of getting approved for a stem cell transplant and I speak to a nurse mm-hmm. and he and I have talked about, you know, he has, he said, can you please explain what you have? Because he doesn't even know what I have. He doesn't really, oh, wow. you know, he, it doesn't really, he, you don't get trained for these very specialized right. kind of, you know, conditions. So I had to explain to him, you know, this is a, it's an aggressive form of leukemia. I am still in the chronic phase. Um, I'm a good candidate for a stem cell transplant because I'm young mm. in cancer terms. I am young, you know, I, I'm 42. I, um, I have a lot of life ahead of me The the transplant will surely, you know, it will surely give me extended life, extended life. Yes. Yeah. It will, it will improve the quality of my life, um, all these things. But it's, you know, it's really, if an oncologist in the largest city in the U.S., which is New York, if he is not even treating someone with my condition, then how is a doctor who works for, who works for an insurance um, right. company, how is he or she supposed to know what I need? That's right. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think... That would be my final question to you in terms of like awareness. I mean, what do you hope that greater awareness, not just of your cancer, Mm -hmm. but every other form of cancer that sort of gets left out of the the limelight, literally. Yeah. You could name so many hundreds of different kinds of cancer that get left out of the limelight. What are you hoping that greater awareness of your cancer and all of these other cancers would bring for other people who are, who are going through this? Well, I want people to know if they are going through this, you're not alone. There are many of us out there. There are thousands of Americans being diagnosed with cancer every single day. Like every single year, there are more of us. Um, a lot of our cancers are not you know, straight shots. You can't just say, well, if you take this and that, you'll be fine. A lot of us have very complex um, cases and um, we need a lot of funding. There is a, um, there's a federal push. There's this federal program called the moonshot program Mm -hmm. and individual uh, cancer research hospitals across the country have their own kind of in-house moonshots program. Mm-hmm. Um, MD Anderson has has one. They, they've had it, for, I think, for about maybe over a decade, maybe 20 years. What they're trying to do is they're trying to collect as much uh, information about individuals, different cancer diagnoses, so that they can start research and pipelining drugs to be uh, FDA approved because the FDA right. approval process is very long. The drug trial that I'm in right now is uh, five years old. It's been going on since 2017. They made it open. They they made it available to 46 patients um, because that's how small this, you know, the patient pool is. Um, And I was the 42nd person to join it. Oh, wow. And this is after it going on for four years. So I joined it, you know, when it was, it started in 2017, I joined it in 2021, I was the 42nd person, which is really like very small, but the FDA, um, said that since it's an orphan condition that they are willing to, um, to do this trial and to approve it and make it on label for people with my condition. So, um, but none of this would be possible if there were not programs out there, research programs for rare cancers, because one 
you know, when we find um, a drug that works for one type of cancer, it could lead to other cancers. Because as I said, my cancer causes my, the gene that causes my cancer causes other types of cancer too. Right. So, you know, this could lead to something five, 10 years from now that could actually kind of wipe out this form of cancer. You know, anyone with bladder cancer or, you know, or a lung cancer could maybe one day just say, okay, well you, you go on this regimen and, and you'll be fine. Um, but the things that we need more money, we need so much more money and funding. Can people donate? Like to the, uh, to the Moonshot pro- uh, program. Because yes, I will yes. put a link in my show notes so that people <laughs> so, can. So what what I would recommend is either to give to um, like the Lymphoma Society, mm-hmm. Leukemia Lymphoma Society, mm-hmm. um, because they they will take that money and they will put it into kind of rare blood diseases or you or you can donate directly to um, hospitals that have research centers. So MD Anderson is one, uh, Memorial Sloan Kettering is one as well. And that will help allocate that money towards um, these programs. And also um, President Biden is trying to push another kind of large chunk of funding towards the Moonshots program, because that's very important, like incredibly important, because it's not just people who are like, you know, in their 40s, there are people right. who are, there are children who get cancer. And it's just the most devastating thing to see. Right. You know, and, and these children, they haven't even had a chance to even attend school yet. Or, or you know, they're, they're, they're children. <laughs> they haven't even reached adulthood. So um, if for anything else, you know, if, if maybe people, people don't feel that you know, people feel like, well, you're, you're in your forties and you've had a life. Um, think of, think of people who've never even had to, uh, had the chance to start their lives. So, um, and I also want to talk about stem cell, um, stem cell, uh, transplants and the need for people to be on the bone registry, bone marrow registry. Um, there is, uh, there are two major bone marrow registries in the United States. One's called DKMS, D as in dog, K as in kite, M as in marmalade, and then S as in slime. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's dkms.org. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have a, um, they have a very generous kind of like range for donors. They accept donors from, I believe the age of 18 until 55. So if you are not on the uh, bone marrow registry yet, um, if you are up to the age of 55, you can register for it. That means that you can be a bone marrow, um, donor. The oh, wow. other organization is called be the match, mm. be the match. Org, and they take donors up to 40. So they will register you. It means you can mm-hmm. still donate after 40, but if right. you're not registered by then, they won't, they won't process your, your registration. Oh, I see. It's a really simple process. You get a little mm-hmm. swab. I'm sure mm-hmm. people are very familiar with this. Like if they were to do like their dogs or their cats, DNAs, right? Like you, you just take the swab and you put it in the cheek. It's right. like painless. So right. that's the preliminary process. If right. you are a potential donor, they will do further testing. It is painless. You don't have to get a bone marrow biopsy. They don't, Mm -hmm. you don't have to be put under, if you're an adult, all they have to do is put, they they will take blood out of, out of one arm. They will filter out the stem cells and put it back on the other arm. The whole process as a donor is only, I think about three or four days. They give you some medicine that stimulates your blood for your stem cells 
to produce more and that's it. Minimal side effects and you get a free trip. I don't know if that's like anything people are interested (laughs) in. (laughs) No, but it's, it's to help save lives. I think that's the biggest thing that so much can be done through stem cells and stem cell research. It is essential that people can do sign up for it. Yes. And it's, and it's, it's very fast. And like, I think only about 30% of people who need a stem cell transplant can find matches within their own families. So I, I have a half brother and he's not a match in any way. So it's Mm -hmm. on a 10 point scale. He's not even five points. Well, he's my half brother. So of course he Mm -hmm. wouldn't be five point, you know, unless we were, unless we, we got the same exact genes from our mom, but, um, and he wasn't even a two point match. He was a zero point match. Oh, wow. Um, yeah. So I, it was, that was kind of shocking. I don't have any other siblings. Right. Um, I have a mother, but she is elderly, you know, right. she's in her sixties. I have, I have a child, but he's, he's a child. Right. Um, and so, you know, I, um, I don't have an obvious match. So, right. and also, um, I wanted to also say that people of certain ethnicities have, uh, less of a chance of finding matches because there's so few people of that es- ethnicity on on the registry. Registry, that's right. Just because you are any ethnicity does not mean that someone of the same ethnicity would you be your match. But the right. chances are a little bit higher. You know, um, we are lacking uh, people who are um, black and Asian on the registry. I know within uh, Asian cultures has a lot to do with privacy issues. Like um, I'm from, I'm from Japan and I know that, you know, uh, in Japan, it's very kind of privacy um, focused country and people don't like to like, that's why when you go on ancestry.com, you can't really find many matches is because people don't really like to give out that information voluntarily. Um, so, and I understand that, that it also translates to Asian Americans to the United States, but also there are fewer of us in the United States. Right. Um, so, but it's, so it's really important for people to, to get on the registry. Also people who are mixed ancestry. We have a uh, harder time finding matches. So I'm mixed as well. Um, and so the chances of me finding a match who is, um, who will, who will finding a match period is very low because of that too. Um, so we need everyone. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter what ethnicity you are, you, we need more people on the registry. So once again, that's dkms.org and be the match.org. Thank you so much, Madeline. I mean, thank you. All of this is such essential information because people need to know. And that's, that was the purpose of this because what you're going through, you, I mean, and I'm not saying not to minimize it in any way, what a form, because it is scary and it is so much to take in. But the thing is, as you'd said, you're very fortunate. There's so many people out there who don't have the kind of access and we need to be able to create more access, more treatment options for them, more awareness for them that they can be helped as well. And that is why, I mean, I'm so grateful that you agreed to come on. 
Well, I am incredibly grateful. Thank you so much for having me on. It's just been a delight. And thank you for asking me to speak on this because it's been a long time coming, you know, Madeline. We've known I each know, other for too long. <laughs> we, I, I think it's been about, I think we've known each other for about at least five years, six at years. Least, right? at, at least. least. Yeah. I, I remember, you know, chatting to you about uh, how to get a kid to sleep and how I to know. You know how to it, get that's the to- madness that we share. Okay, <laughs> children that are not sleeping and not listening to anything we're saying. <laughs> I know. Well, what has changed? You know, just the yes. age. That's it. Yeah, that's it. But thank you so thank, much, thank and thank you, you so to, much. Thank you to everybody who has tuned in, who's watched, who watched us on YouTube or listening into us. Y'all take care of yourself, please. If you can donate to your cancer research centers and be a donor. Uh, even if it's a stem cells donor or if it is a bone marrow donor, anything that can help other people out with not just the known cancer, but all forms of cancer to help give them another chance of living a full life. So y'all take care of yourself and may peace be on you all. Thank you so much for tuning in to I'm a Muslim and That's Okay. And if you wish to follow my social media for more updates, you can follow me on Instagram, on Facebook, and on YouTube. All the links to those are in the show notes. And if you are on Apple or on Spotify or on Podchaser, please do give my podcast a five-star rating. It really does help get me, you know, in the public eye. And if you wish to donate to support the podcast, you can do so through the PayPal link in my show notes as well. Take care.